here on the one ninety one FM. And as promised, we have Dean Strang, who is Stephen Avery's defense lawyer in the famous case involving making a murderer, the documentary that has kind of captivated the world and uh, America as well as long as New Zealand. And let's make sure he's on here. Mr. Strang? Good morning. Good morning. How are you, sir? I'm well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, well, I'm happy to have you on, and I really appreciate you being on, taking the time to come on the show. And um, we'll just get started. Um, this case has kind of captivated uh, the country in America and the world in particular. And um, did you think that this case would become such a worldwide phenomenon? No, never in a million years. It certainly was big news here in this little corner of the United States. And to some extent made, made a little bit of national news at the time just because of the unusual circumstance that you had someone exonerated uh, and released after serving 18 years on a rape he did not commit, then getting uh, charged hardly more than two years later with an even more serious crime. But I, you know, I, I thought primarily of this case as local to to the state in which it arose. Hmm. Um, we in the first hour of the show we were discussing uh, a similar case here in New Zealand of a man named Arthur Allen Thomas who was wrongly convicted of um, a crime, spent a lot of time in prison and was eventually yeah. exonerated. And do you think this documentary has um, hit, touched such a nerve because this case is particularly unique, or does it highlight more of a a systematic failure in the criminal justice system? The documentary really covers two related cases. Um, Stephen Avery's, he was my client, and then his, at the time, 17-year-old nephew, um, Brendan Dassey. And I think that the Dassey case in particular highlights or exposes very common failings and systemic weaknesses, at least in the United States system, of administering justice generally and specifically as to juveniles who find themselves in adult criminal court. Hmm. And um, now, now people have watched the documentary. This case is taking, you know, kind of taking off. There's millions of armchair lawyers around the country now. Um, under now that this is all sort of said and done, under what conditions or under what circumstances could Steve Avery get uh, relief from his conviction? His realistic hope probably lies in the area of newly discovered evidence. His appeal has been exhausted, but if there were really significant new evidence casting new doubt on his guilt or on the uh, verity of the conviction, he conceivably could bring a motion for a new trial uh, back in the, the county uh, in which he was tried originally. That's probably his best um, or most realistic hope at this point. And would I mean, you've probably done a lot of uh, cases. What would, would, would you would you be willing to give like odds of new evidence being discovered, or do you think that's something that you just you just can't know? I couldn't handicap that. I really couldn't give odds, even if I were an odds maker. Yeah. And are you still in contact with Mr. Avery? I am as is uh, Jerry Buting, who was, you know, my co-counsel on the case. We've, we've both been in touch with Mr. Avery over the years um, a number of times, and 
you know, since his appeal ended, um, have tried to, you know, offer at least informal help when he has sought it. Mm -hmm. And what has been his reaction to this, uh, the, I guess, the phenomenon surrounding his uh, this documentary? Wonder, um, surprise, um, um, some of it, some of it I've had something of a wry reaction, um, and I, and, you know, when I say wonder or surprise, you, you know, you, you have no way of knowing, of course, when, uh, you know, a particular film is going to take off and become popular or, or not, um, and this one seems to have taken off. Um, and then, you know, in addition to, I think, a, a really useful discussion that it has helped to foster about broader, you know, systemic issues in the administration of justice in the United States, there's, there's also been kind of a frivolous, <laughs> uh, thick, um, sort of stripe of public reaction too and that that hints my why uh, reaction to that mm, what what do you mean by frivolous reaction just oh you know focus on uh, what clothes people were wearing um, how the lawyers looked uh, the accents of, of uh, mr. Avery and his family um, you know what makes the show binge worthy um, to use that sort of awkward neologism yeah um, you know just just sort of the pop cultural aspects of this um, at least in in the US hmm. there there's a, a thick sort of layer of that underlying a, a more serious um, or elevated public discussion yeah, because I think that's one thing that happens a lot in the U.S. is things get sort of filtered into two diametrically opposed positions really quickly, and the, the, the debate comes very shallow and not really about what's at stake there, which I think the documentary sort of highlighted his, you know, his, his lack of ability to gain a fair trial, whether or not the question of innocence or guilt is involved. And now I'm sensitive to the fact that you, there might be some things you can't say, but if you were to have this trial all over again, um, what would you do differently, or is there anything you would do differently? I would do a hundred things differently. You know, it's just the nature of um, really doing anything, I guess, that, you know, that um, you might, that might carry real consequences. So, you know, with benefit of hindsight, um, you you second-guess yourself, which probably isn't that useful, but you also learn and grow from every experience you have, including in a courtroom, right? So um, m most of the things are small. A larger thing, for example, I wish I had anticipated better um, that the trial judge would bend and allow the state to introduce some FBI testing that was conducted hastily during the trial and that we didn't expect um, to be completed during the trial um, after listening to the prosecution's initial assessment of that. Of course, it was completed, and I, I, I did not anticipate that the FBI would go into overdrive, would, you know, 
complete the tests in a very hasty way and that the judge then would allow them in mid-trial when we really had no chance to conduct independent testing or even to, re to react um, in, a, you know, in a very organized way. Mm. Um, given the light of the um, the documentary now and the publicity, is it is it even possible that Steve Avery could get a fair trial in the future if this case was to be retried? I don't know. That's a that's a an imponderable and a very good question. Um, you know, as time passes, of course, um, the public loses interest, moves on to other things, and. In retrospect, things often don't look quite as they did in the heat of the moment. Um, so it's entirely possible that the public mood would be different a year from now or five years, you know, whenever, uh, if and when Mr. Avery were to um, be granted a new trial. So it's a really good question, but an unanswerable one, unfortunately. Hmm. And... Um I guess this could be maybe, I don't know if it, this sounds like a very cliche question, but it's one that I hope you can give an answer to, and that is, I uh, watched this documentary, binge-watched it, as you said, which um, I've never actually done before with my wife, and we um, kind of finished the documentary with a very empty feeling, like a proper feeling of depression and the, the questioning the whole system, and what can somebody um, do? What can we do in a practical sense to sort of combat what we see through this documentary of um, injustice and a systematic failure of the criminal justice system? Well, I think for uh, people who are lawyers, um, people who are law enforcement officers, uh, judges, um, you know, in other words, the the people who work daily within the criminal justice system, this is one of many reasons to pause a moment, um, question our own certitude and our own motives, and maybe redouble our efforts, not just at doing a better job, but at acknowledging our inevitable mistakes and retrenching a little bit from any overweening certainty that we're right all the time. Um, you know, that would be a good start for those of us in the system, in my view, just a, a good dose of humility. Um, for people outside, you know, who don't work in criminal justice, they're the really important ones in the end. Um, and I, I think, it, you know, it starts by conversations at work, by conversations across your dinner table by getting involved as people have online and expressing concerns or an opinion. Uh, you know, eventually politicians and government institutions hear this. Um, and it takes a while, and they react slowly, imperceptibly, and, and off, often unpredictably. But I, I do think having uh, a thoughtful and respectful conversation about the problems evident um, in these two compelling trial stories and then asking what do they say in a broader way about the way in which we administer justice to children to you know uh, adults um, and to people from 
and underclass, as most criminal defendants are, outsiders in some fashion. What you know? What are the broader questions? And you know, begin to have a real debate about that. I I do think that's at a broader scale the most productive thing people can do. Just conversation, really, and debate. And um, yeah, I've spent yeah. 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 And, and and to think, you know, to think about it, because, you know, you're thinking and talking about this today, and six months from now, you may get a summons for jury duty. Um, and if this has, you know, changed the way in which you think about the role of a juror or the reliability of our criminal justice system or, the, the you know, the confidence we ought to place in the police simply because they are the police, then that'll produce real, tangible benefits in the reliability of outcomes in American courtrooms or in, you know, courtrooms in any of the English-speaking countries that retain the jury. Yeah, and um, I think that may be the most important legacy of this documentary is that um, because it's so hard with the media landscape, I feel, and I'm not making excuses or blaming the media, but to break through you know the filter and have a real conversation about these type of issues and I really hope that that will be the legacy of this documentary is that people will have these conversations and um, is there any other case that you've you've tried that has been anywhere near as memorable as this or is this just kind of off the charts anywhere near, anywhere near as what memorable as the Stephen Avery case or as important memorable, yeah. oh, memorable. Um, uh, sure, I've had a number of memorable cases, uh, some of them small, you know, in terms of their um, their consequences. Um, so, you know, cases are memorable for different reasons, some because you won, some because you lost and took it very hardly, or, you know, very hard, um, some because something funny happened during a trial or, you know, you forged a particularly good working relationship with either the prosecutor or, you know, a fellow defense lawyer, um, with a judge, perhaps. So, I, you know, I have a lot of cases that are memorable for a variety of reasons. This is the first in which I've allowed someone to, you know, to film me, to, part to sort of hmm. participate behind the scenes in filming part of what uh, a lawyer does. And I don't know that I'll ever do that again or that anyone ever will ask again. So that... You know that makes this case distinct, but you know there are many memorable ones. And I have one more quick question for you, and that is, as we watch this documentary, you know, my my wife and I myself were pulling our hair out, you know, yelling at the not yelling, but getting very ang aggressive at the computer screen. And how do, as a lawyer, how do you not take too much of this uh, on board? How do you separate yourself so you can keep your composure and you can you know operate every day under these very stressful circumstances? Well, you know, I I had been practicing law for about for almost 22 years at the time, so you know I've, I've certainly been in charged situations before, and you know you develop a habit and a pattern of how you interact with co you know counsel on the other side, how you address the court, um, and but for me it's always. It always is a, an ongoing effort um, to strike and restrike 
the balance between the emotional investment that I think any lawyer needs to be anything more than a mouthpiece or, or a technician, to be a real advocate, to be an officer of, of a court on the one hand, and also needing to draw a boundary between myself and the client or myself and any other human being uh, on the other hand. That's, that's just a balance that one has to re-strike or revisit all the time. All right, Mr. String, I appreciate you taking the time to come on our meager little radio station here in Dunedin, and I wish you all the best in your future endeavors. Thank you for having me. No problem. And uh, I also want to give a quick thank you to your colleague, Jerry Butine, who was, wasn't able to come on but did send me a very gracious note saying he couldn't come on. And, um, yeah, again, just thank you for coming on. Yes, very much. Thanks. Bye-bye. And that was Dean String, the defense attorney for Steve Avery, for those who have been watching the documentary Making a Murderer. That was um, I really do appreciate him taking the time to come on. And I want to give a quick uh, thank you to a good dear friend of mine, uh, a man by the name of Brian Brownfield, who is a, a lawyer back in Kentucky, where I'm from. And he gave me a lot of help on some of those technical questions and kind of getting my head around the legal framework. So I really appreciate him taking the time because... Uh, as a radio host and as a presenter, we don't do these things in isolation. It takes a whole team of people to make these kind of things come off, and I really appreciate everybody's help. But that was quite a long interview. Let's get back to some.